There's been a movement in the acoustic guitar world over the last 10 or 15 years to make new old guitars, meaning brand new guitars are artificially aged to look and sound old. Well, today I'm gonna pull back the curtain on the recipe for a new old guitar, and you're gonna have a chance to weigh in on this hot acoustic guitar topic. Hey, TAC family, welcome to episode 184 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show. This show is all about bringing fun, focus, and progress to your guitar journey through my weekly Guitar Geek list, plus success stories from your fellow TAC members. In fact, speaking of TAC members, I've got a question for you, and I promise it relates. Do you ever feel like if you were playing a song and you had the music right in front of you, if someone took that music or tablature away, you wouldn't know what to do? Well, TAC member Joe R. felt the same exact way. In fact, way early on in her guitar journey, she felt like things just didn't fully click. And she even felt that way a little bit later on in her guitar journey. But now she finds herself playing guitar with her husband without sheet music or chord charts or any of that. Now, later today, you're gonna meet Joe and find out what she did to break free of tablature. Plus, you're gonna get your weekly dose of acoustic news you can use, which features two things that I discovered from Ricky Skaggs' banjo player, some wise words from an acoustic guitar oracle, and so much more. But first, let's go ahead and dig into what exactly makes a new old guitar. Now to me, there are three key ingredients that makes a new guitar look and sound old. And we're gonna get to those in a second, but first, I wanna kick this off with a bit of a guessing game. Because I wanna test how good your guitar geek ears are. You're about to hear four separate guitars. One of them, only one of them, is truly a vintage instrument. The other three are brand new guitars that are made to look and sound old. So I wanna see if you can guess the true vintage instrument out of this lineup. So you're about to hear, again, four guitars, and in the comments below, let me know which one you think is the true vintage instrument. Is it guitar one, two, three, or four? Okay, grab your headphones if you need to. Let's go ahead and listen to these instruments. Now, please leave your guess in the comments below as to which instrument is truly a vintage instrument. Is it guitar one, two, three, or four? Now, I'll be revealing the answer in about 10 or so minutes. In between now and then, let's go ahead and dig into the three key ingredients of a new old instrument. And the first key ingredient is imitation. They say that imitation is the best form of flattery, and in this case, I believe that holds true. When you look at a new old instrument, meaning an instrument that is fresh off the assembly line, fresh out of the luthier shop, that actually looks old, imitation is the first step. They use iconic vintage instruments as their model. 
So we're, we're talking vintage Martin D18s, Herringbone D28s, Martin Triple O 18s and Triple O 28s. We're talking Gibson J45s, iconic vintage instruments, sought after vintage instruments. Lay out the template for these new old instruments. And I'm talking from the visual look to the materials used. We're talking, generally speaking, an Adirondack spruce top and Honduran mahogany back and sides or Brazilian rosewood in some cases, uh, sometimes Indian rosewood as well. But they not only use these iconic vintage instruments as the template in terms of aesthetics, they actually mimic the materials used as well. Which brings us to the next key ingredient, and that is the top. I want to talk about torification, torrefaction, whatever the proper term is. The next key ingredient for a new old instrument is a torrefied top. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, that's total witchcraft. I don't buy into this torrefication process. And I have to say, I heartily disagree. Although I was sitting firmly entrenched in your camp of belief when torrefication first came out. I heard about it and I thought, Nah, I'm not into that. That's weird. I'd rather age my own instrument. And then I actually heard a torrified instrument and I thought, my ears are hearing something amazing, but I still didn't buy it. And then I went to the Martin Guitar Factory and I saw physical evidence as to why this works. They have a light box at the Martin Guitar Factory where they check seams of tops. They essentially put the two pieces of wood on this light box, and if you can see light through it, well then the seam isn't perfect and they need to replane or rejoin the sides. I think it's rejoin, I think that's the proper term. Well anyways, they did this with a regular piece of Adirondack spruce that was not torrified, and you can actually see light coming through the entire piece of wood. Now, I'm not talking like the light is beaming through like there's an open seam, but you can actually see the glow of the light through the Adirondack spruce. Check this out. When you put a torrified piece of wood on the light box, no light passes through. Now, why is that? Well, torrefication is essentially the slow baking process of a piece of wood to crystallize the resins and mimic age because over time those resins crystallize and the wood generally hardens. Now, I found some photos of the actual physical specimen of a, of a torrified piece of wood, which actually makes what I saw at the Martin factory make a whole lot more sense. Pre-war guitars uses torrefication almost exclusively, I believe, on the tops of their instruments. That being the case, they've done these close-up, and I'm talking like major close-ups of the top to where you can see an actual vintage, a 19, I believe it's a 1937 D28, the top of a 1937 D28, you can see what that looks like under a microscope. Then a raw piece of new Sitka spruce, untorified, and then a torrified piece of spruce. And if you compare the 1937 D28 piece of spruce to the torrified piece of spruce, you can see the exact same changes. Whereas the standard untorrified piece of Sitka spruce just kind of looks, well, different. And actually you can, you can see this crystallization and that certainly carries into the tonal offering of that piece of wood. So I do wholeheartedly believe torrefaction is a process that's here to stay and one that actually benefits the tone of the instrument, making a new instrument sound old, which is why it's a key ingredient. And for those of you who are still skeptical, I encourage you to try out an instrument with a torrefied top because 
it's a pretty amazing experience. Do I think it's a catch-all or a cure-all? No, but if you're going for a vintage tone right out of the gate, torrefaction is a pretty, pretty amazing process that has a great tonal impact. Okay, moving on to the third key ingredient of a new old instrument. And this is one that will polarize everyone watching the show right now. And that is distressing. The artificial aging in terms of aesthetics. I'm talking pre-installed mojo, wear on the top of the guitar, nicks, dings, scratches, yes, on a new guitar. I gotta say, for this topic, I'm not fully into the distressed look. I believe that I wanna put my own nicks, scratches, and dings in the guitar. I want my tuners to weather on their own because of age. I don't wanna open a new guitar and see it already aged. Now, this being the case, I still think it looks pretty darn cool. Now this started, I, I wanna say, so I started working for Weber mandolins back in 2008, and we started distressing mandolins in 2009. So I wanna say right around 2009, 2010, this seemed to start hitting the market and people reacted, well, pretty well to it. But I have to say, early on, the distressing didn't seem all that natural and didn't seem all that believable. That is not the case now. When I look at companies like Pre-War Guitars, when I look at companies like Martin who are starting to distress their instruments, they're pretty darn believable. In fact, from afar, you'd think, wow, that's a, that's a 1937 D18. And even up close, I think it's pretty amazing what they're doing right now. So I think that is a key ingredient for making a new old instrument. However, I'm not on that train. But I'm curious, in the comments below, let me know if you are a fan of distressed guitars, meaning a new guitar is artificially, aesthetically aged, whether that be Nick's dings, scratches, I almost said sings, nicks, dings, scratches, or, or what have you. Uh, let me know if you're a fan of that, or if you're not. And if so, whether yes or no, let me know why. I'm just kind of curious because I've kind of already shared my opinion. I'm curious what yours is. Okay, so the three key ingredients, imitation of an iconic vintage instrument, a torrified top, and of course, that distressing factor. Those all come together to make a new old guitar. But we know that guitar playing and choosing a guitar is all based on tone. So how did you do in the guessing game? Well, let me go ahead and reveal the answer right now. You heard four guitars, one of which, one of which was a true vintage instrument. You left your guess in the comments below. Well, if you guessed guitar number three. Here we have a 1935 Martin D28 with Brazilian rosewood. You picked out the true, the real vintage instrument. The other three guitars were newly made instruments from the pre-war guitar company with varying species of rosewood back and sides. One of them is Indian rosewood, one of them is true Brazilian rosewood, and one of them is Grenadillo. Uh, pre-war herringbone with Indian rosewood. Pre-war herringbone with Brazilian rosewood. have a pre-war herringbone with grenadillo back and sides. 
Now, one more question before I leave this segment of the show and move on to meeting TAC member Joe. Let me know in the comments below what your thoughts are on these new old instruments. Are you of the camp that you wanna buy a new guitar because it's new and you wanna put your own wear and tear on it and you wanna age it yourself by playing it? Or do you dig this movement towards instant vintage or insta vintage? Maybe we can coin that term right now. Back to that scenario that I painted at the very beginning of the show. You're sitting in a room, you're playing music, you're looking at a chord chart, somebody takes it away, what do you do? Do you crumble and stop playing? Do you wonder, oh my gosh, what the hell do I do next? Or do you just carry on using what you know about music to continue playing? Well, this very scenario strikes fear into many guitar geeks' hearts. And it has to do with beliefs around music theory. Now, when I say the term music theory, so often the image that gets conjured up is piles of books and learning all of these things, so much stuff. You have to learn so much stuff when it comes to music theory. Well, I strongly believe that you only have to learn roughly 10 to 20% of music theory because that 10 to 20% you use almost 100% of the time. And this is continually validated. Whenever, whenever I play on a session, whenever I play, uh, whenever I'm picked up for a gig, I learn oftentimes the music for whomever I'm playing with on the fly, using roughly 10 to 20% of music theory topics in mass. Now, some of you might think, I call BS on that, I don't believe it. I think to learn music theory, you have to know everything, all the things, every nook and cranny. It's nice to know those things, but you don't use all of those things all of the time. You only use a small sliver. Now, I actually believe this is true because, well, as I mentioned, I've experienced it myself, but TAC member Joe R has experienced it as well. She went through the Fretboard Wizard course, which focuses on that core 10 to 20% of music theory, and she's using it all the time. In fact, she's gone from playing songs out of books and using chord charts to freely jamming with her husband, not even having to have the music in front of her. In fact, uh, rather than me tell Joe's story, I'll go ahead and let Joe tell her own story. Here she is. Well, I started back in the 60s when I was a teenager and the folk movement was the in thing at the time. Some of the artists who inspired me in the very beginning were Basically, Peter, Paul, and Mary got it all started, and then it went on to Bob Dylan, Tom Paxton, Gordon Lightfoot, Joan Baez, of course. How could I leave her out? <laughs> the vision that I had at the time, and I think the vision that I still have, is just to be able to play anything I want to on the guitar, to be able to just pick it up and with a little noodling around, be able to play almost any kind of song, any kind of music. And so I bought a guitar, but there was just no hope of, <laughs> of really learning to play it. Uh, I bought books and video, or not videos, we didn't have videos then. Um, LP recordings that were supposed to teach me, none of it took. Before Tony's Acoustic Challenge, I was barely competent. I could play a few chords. I'm pretty good at rhythm, but I've gotten so much more confident in my playing. This is a song by Kate Wolf, and uh, she's a, she was a musician in Northern California back in the 70s. The title of the song is, an, um, I can't think of the title of the song. The title of the, 
to just let me play it. My heart is here to stay all the while That's the name of the song, although I've gone away. <laughs> when Tony first talked about doing Fretboard Wizard, it sounded like something that I sounded like it was just what I needed to know, what I wanted to know. And um, that really was a whole separate and huge part of my learning experience. I mean, I had no idea how to find a key, how to uh, write a scale. And there was all kinds of things that I had knew nothing about. And then after taking the class, I find it, I use it all the time. It comes up in all kinds of unexpected situations and there's, it's still making connections that I uh, had no idea were out there. So it, it's been huge for me and still is. My name is Joe Rigg and this is my Acoustic Life Story. Monumental thanks to Joe for sharing her story and really kind of proving that if you focus on the 10 to 20% of music theory principles that you'll use nearly 90% of the time, it can really break you free of tablature, chord charts, etc. because you're using those principles to leverage your understanding of music and you finally get how the puzzle pieces connect. And the cool thing is that those 10 to 20% of music theory principles continue to make connections throughout your guitar journey. In fact, those connections become more powerful and more powerful the more you use those same exact principles. So, so cool that Joe took the time to share her story. Again, huge thanks to TAC family member Joe. Now I wanna move on and we're gonna look at a guitar signal. We're gonna lay our guitar geek eyes. We're gonna Google at a guitar signal from a guitar geek. I tried to mix as many G's as I could in that statement and clearly I've confused myself. Uh, so yes, we're gonna Google on a guitar geek guitar signal from Grand Terrace, California. Another G for you. And this is brought to you by Sherman Knowles. Here's what Sherman has in his guitar signal starting on the bottom row going left to right. A Viper by BG Guitars, a Gibson Maestro, a Fender Telecaster, a Fender FA-135, a Takamine G330, a PGA-48BR Pile Resonator, and a Honer 12-string. Now moving on to the top row, again going left to right, a Cordoba Uke, a Luna 6-string Uke, a Ventura V23S, an Oscar Schmidt OG2, an Epiphone Pro FC, a Washburn WA90, a Martin X-Series, and a Martin Triple C1E. Now I have to say that Sherman has a truly inspirational guitar den. Uh, solid representation of the Beatles, plenty of amps to pick from, and just overall, it's a place that I think a guitar geek could find, well, just like home. And luckily for Sherman, he calls that guitar den his home. But you know what? All of us Acoustic Tuesday viewers, we wanna see your guitar den and we, we wanna see your guitar snow. So please, you think Sherman's cool? Be like Sherman and submit your guitar snow to me so I can feature you on the Acoustic Tuesday show. All you have to do is follow three simple steps. Number one, go to AcousticTuesday.store and pick out your favorite guitar snow shirt. 
Step number two, once that shirt arrives, put it on and take a picture amongst all of your guitars, well, in your guitar den. And step number three, please submit it at AcousticLife.tv. Once you go there, click on the submit link in the top menu and you can upload your picture and let us know what's in your guitar arsenal just like Sherman did. Like sands through the hourglass, I don't know the rest of it. I'm pretty sure that's from Days of Our Lives. My mom used to watch it when I was a kid. That's all I remember. I just remember there was an hourglass with the sand going through. But we're gonna go ahead and flip that hourglass and head back to episode 180 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show where I talked about making practice automatic. And there were some great comments on that show and I wanna feature quite a few. In fact, there was one comment that prompted me to do a guitar review of a guitar that I am currently coveting. I am in love with this guitar and want to make it my own. We'll get there in a moment, but let me go ahead and dig into some of those other comments first. This first one comes from P Squad 138. <laughs> That's a funny name. Uh, or maybe it's PS Quad 138. Either way, here's what they had to say. I'm an 80s baby, grew up on rap, then I heard the Beatles at age 33, and they were without a doubt what inspired me to play guitar. I hardly listen to rap now. This is so awesome because during that show, I posed the question, hey, let me know if the Beatles got you into guitar. And holy smokes, it sounded like, or it sounds like, a ton of people uh, were inspired by the Beatles. Uh, PS Quad or P Squad 138 being one of them. And it's funny because I got inspired by the Beatles much later in life. My dad listened to the Beatles. I remember kids in high school listening to the Beatles. And, and I remember thinking in high school, what's the big deal with these Beatles? What's the, what's the deal? What's their story? Because I was very much entrenched in the heavy metal world. However, when I started college, I started opening my mind and lo and behold, I discovered the Beatles and I decided that, wow, there's, these, these are quite the artists. These are quite the musicians. Uh, so yeah, my, my story very much aligns with this comment. Uh, on to our next comment. This one comes from Dana Higgs, and we have uh, an update. Now, you might remember Dana's guitar signal, and here's her update. Here's what she says. Hi, Tony and Tack family. Thank you for sharing my guitar signal. Just an update, I have passed the Fender banjo to my son in West Virginia. He said he was going to look for a banjo, and since I purchased my neck fill, the Fender was not getting much use. I hope we will be able to play together when we meet for vacation. I have also purchased another guitar, a Ferk Little Jane with a spruce top and Coco Bolo back and sides, with electronics. My Janie fills my parlor niche with the added bonus of a great little travel guitar. It's even smaller and easier to carry than my Voyage Air travel guitar. Thanks for the practice tips. I'm looking forward to putting the ideas into practice that I have not currently been using. I especially like the practice log and note the win idea after every session. I feel this is a great way to have your progress be in black and white to follow when you hit those walls. Have fun and play on, Tack family. What an awesome comment from Dana and so cool to kind of get the, get the story of her guitar signal saying, you know what? I got this other banjo, it's awesome. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and pass this other banjo on to my son. And that could lead to a fam jam because she's gonna see him on vacation, at least what I infer from her comment, and they might jam together. How cool is that? And I, I love that you dig the practice tips as well, Dana. Hopefully those of you watching put some of those into practice and hopefully they are helping. Uh, Dana hit the nail on the head there saying that, you know what? When it comes to those times where you hit a wall or you feel like you're falling into a guitar rut, if you keep a practice log, you can look back and have actual physical evidence that you are indeed progressing. So again, thank you so much, Dana, for your comment. On to our final comment, and this comes from Jess Jones. 
He says this, I saw an Iris guitar on your Instagram. When do we get the full review? Well, Jess, ask and ye shall receive. Let's go ahead and have a look at the Iris DE11 guitar, the Dan Erlewine signature model. First off, who the heck is Dan Erlewine and how does he have a signature model? Well, Dan Erlewine, for those that don't know, is guitar repair royalty. He has a bazillion videos on how to repair guitars, basic repairs, crazy repairs, basic setup. He's helped design tools. He is literally like the godfather of guitar repair. If you wanna know anything guitar repair, you consult Dan. Now, why does he have a signature model? Well, Dan happens to own a very early Kalamazoo KG-11, what this exact guitar is modeled after. And the cool thing is, no one up until this point has reproduced the Kalamazoo KG-11 until Adam at Iris Guitars did so in combination with Dan. got a piece of Adirondack spruce, and on the back, Honduran mahogany. All done in this wonderful satin, open pore style finish that lets the wood breathe and kind of, I think, contributes to its resonance. Now, underneath the hood is something that I believe contributes greatly to the punchiness of this guitar, to the frosty and crispy tone, and that is the fact that the top is ladder braced. Just like the Kalamazoo KG-11 was, the Iris DE-11 is ladder braced as well. Onto the neck, we've got a nice full neck profile. I want to call it a, a full C. If I was to if I was to assign a particular neck profile. Uh, uh, name to it, it would be a, a full C. Uh, the fingerboard is made of rosewood, as is the bridge, bone saddle, bone nut. The nut width is an inch and three quarter. And let's move to the headstock. The headstock is kind of a, um, I'll call it a snakehead headstock. And you'll notice one thing that seems rather odd. And that is the length from the nut to the actual first tuner. And this seems a little odd visually, but in terms of playability, it adds a ton of comfort. Between that full C profile neck and this extra room up here, more complicated chord voicings are actually much easier to achieve because you have the room. Also, you have a nice spot for an extra capo if you happen to keep one up by the headstock. Now, also you'll notice on the headstock the lack of your standard guitar tuners. There's nothing poking out of the side. There's actually banjo tuners on this guitar and they function oh so smoothly. They're the Ricard banjo tuners and I have to say, aesthetically I think it's an awesome look, but functionally, they are incredible. They're incredibly smooth, they're incredibly accurate, and I gotta say, it just, just feels kinda cool tuning the guitar like you would a banjo. Now, one spec that I'm leaving out that I absolutely shouldn't is the capo system. You're gonna see the series of threaded inserts on the fingerboard, and that's to actually thread a capo. The guitar comes with two capos, one a partial capo and one a full capo that literally thread directly into the guitar neck.
on to the final segment of the show, which is indeed acoustic news you can use. Yes, it is my responsibility to help you stay on the front lines of the acoustic guitar industry. And boy, oh boy, do I have a jam-packed news section for you. And it's a good thing I am fully caffeinated because I am ready to dig in. Item number one are some finger picks that I found out through Russ Carson. Does that name ring a bell to you? If it does, awesome, you're in the know. If it doesn't, you should know Russ Carson. Also known as 81 Crow on YouTube, he is Ricky Skaggs' banjo player. He is a hell of a musician, and man oh man, has he turned me on to some cool stuff, as you'll see in today's news segments. The first thing are these engraved finger picks. Engraved, I believe they're silver finger picks. They're gorgeous, and as soon as I saw a skull engraving on one of these finger picks, I thought, yep, the, I'm, those are in my future. Those are indeed in my future. Now, I discovered these through Russ because he posted a picture on Instagram, and he had these beautiful finger picks that were engraved with RC. They were monogram. Is that monogram? I think that's monogram. Anyways, they were engraved with his, his initials, and I thought, where does a guy, where does a guitar geek guy or gal get themselves an engraved set of finger picks. Well, come to find out, they are brought to you by Landis Studios. You have to check them out. Go to landisstudios.net to check them out. They range anywhere from 50 to $80. Now you might be thinking that's a lot for a set of finger picks. You gotta see these things. They're gorgeous and they're equally functional. Do you remember Russ Carson, the banjo player I was just talking about? You know, great musician, plays with Ricky Skaggs, turns me on to a bunch of really awesome things. Well. He did a documentary about an engraver, an incredible engraver, an engraver that does work for Froggy Bottom Guitars, own banjos, amongst many, many other manufacturers. I believe he's done work for Ricard Banjos. If, if at any point in time you see incredibly high quality, amazing engraving work on pearl inlay or metal or even a carved heel on a banjo, chances are it was from the bench of this individual that Russ did the documentary on. Now, this individual that Russ did the documentary on is his father, Glenn Carson. And wow, you wanna have your mind blown? Sink into this 20, 20 minute documentary. It is so cool to get inside the mind of an engraver who engraves with this, with this caliber. He, he's, it is a work of pure art. We're gonna have a quick look at just a small snippet of this documentary, but I'll go ahead and leave the link in the description. You have to check out the full documentary because you will leave inspired and you will leave kind of full of knowledge about engraving that maybe you didn't have before. And I think it's just, a, it's very well done. So kudos Russ for a great documentary. And wow, Glenn, your work is, is truly amazing. Let's go ahead and have a quick look at a sneak peek of this document, a quick sneak peek at this documentary. Here it is. I draw. I, I have literally file cabinets, portable boxes and boxes full of drawings. And so I just sketch when I'm on the phone at work. I mean, I sketch, it doesn't, it helps me concentrate when I'm talking to, on the phone if I draw. So I just draw. And so I make many copies of things and I draw and practice. And so a lot of inlay engraving or carving. I'll draw three, four patterns, either on the neck with light pencil or on the inlay with a three thousandths of an inch ink pen. And if I don't like it, I wipe it off. And sometimes it really clicks and other times I might have to take seven, eight shots at it until I get something that really works, so. I've got one more piece of news for you and it's something that I discovered on Instagram. Yes, I was going through my phone one day and I thought to myself, I'm gonna see what Andy McKee is up to. I like checking out his Instagram, and lo and behold, 
he, we, I've read one of his posts before about music and, and, ha and it being meaningful and not just looking for that, that quick little rush of attention you get by doing something amazing. Whereas if you do something heartfelt, it just, it stands the test of time. I'm doing a poor job of paraphrasing, but I feel like Andy McKee is this, 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 this font of guitar geek wisdom. And yep, he, he rose to the occasion again because he made this post, and I'm gonna find it right here and read it to you. He made this post that got me thinking, and I thought, he, just, he gets it. He's like the Zen master of acoustic guitar. Here's what Andy had to say in his post. I had a nice Zoom workshop this afternoon with a prestigious guitar program. At one point, a student asked if I had any tips for using social media to establish a music career. I didn't really know what to say. When my music went viral on YouTube, the term viral video didn't even exist. It wasn't a goal or a destination. Music was the goal, strictly speaking. I realized later that I should have simply said, make music your goal, not the next viral video. I will always admire a musician who has the courage to search their inner self to find something worth saying, some way of expressing their unique persona and reaffirming our shared human condition. Now it goes on to say, I think that is what makes solo acoustic guitar so special as well. Seeing one person expressing themselves on such an expressive instrument, the subtlety and nuance, the dynamics and attack, it seems infinite with the guitar. If you play, keep playing, keep searching and keep exploring and creating. It is one of the few true ma true magics in the world. <laughs> On that note, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show. The caffeine is setting in. I'm starting to talk much faster than I can think, and that is evident. But let's quick quickly take a sneak peek and see what's going to happen next week on the Acoustic Tuesday show. Next week on the Acoustic Tuesday show, being that the episode will air right before Cinco de Mayo, we're going to take a look at some instruments from Mexico and learn about them and also see what techniques we can borrow from them and apply to the guitar. Yes, that's happening next week on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Remember, you can catch the Acoustic Tuesday Show every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time here on YouTube. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my Guitar Geek heart for joining me today. And I also want you to remember this. Your guitar progress, your guitar success, however you define it, is directly related to your guitar routine. If you spend the time investing in your guitar routine, it will pay off dividends. And of course, make, make sure to have fun every single day you play. I almost said make fun. Make sure to have fun every single day that you play. That will ensure a consistent and regular guitar routine that again will lead to progress however you define it. Thank you again for joining me today. Thank you for being a guitar geek and remember, guitar geeks unite. I'll see you next Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Cheers.